I think one of my all-time favorite diving experiences is getting to dive in the Arctic. It's also having the opportunity to be in the Arctic and to work with the local people there and um, just see their passion for each other and their community and for their livelihood. It's almost humbling in a way. It's episode 40 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Blair Tobin. Welcome to Dive in the Podcast, your favorite podcast about all types of diving, scuba, tech, freediving, and more. We cover it all. Every week on Monday, we post new episodes filled with diving news, interesting dive topics, ocean advocacy, and much more. To learn more about the show, find your favorite guest, or just read about the hosts, be sure to check out our website, diveinpod.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Justin. I'm Amit. I'm April. I'm Nick, and we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. We have an exciting announcement to share with you tonight. Soon, Dive in the Podcast will be one year old. Yep, it will soon be time for episode 52. It's been a wild ride and we're glad you came along with us. To thank your listeners and the dive community, we've been working on something really special. Yeah, that's right. We've got official Dive in the Podcast stickers and they should be here tomorrow. Pretty cool, eh? You know what's even cooler? Shearwater Research have kindly donated some swag for us to give away. It's pretty simple. No purchase necessary to enter or win. Justin, tell them what they need to qualify. First way to enter is like and follow at DiveInPod and tag a friend on Instagram or Facebook. The other way is to send us an email with a voice message telling us about why you listen to Dive in the Podcast or what your favorite moment of the podcast is. Keep tuning into the show and keep an eye on our socials. There is one more thing. Sharewater Research has also generously donated a Sharewater Peregrine dive computer. As a Canadian podcast with a global audience, we're proud to showcase this awesome Canadian product that we all use, keeping divers safe around the world. So for each swag contest you enter, you also get an automatic entry to win the Peregrine dive computer. That means you can get multiple entries for the Peregrine, so don't miss out on any swag contests. Entry deadline for the grand prize of the Sharewater Peregrine is March 14th, 2021 at midnight Atlantic Standard Time. The winner will be announced in episode 53 on March 22nd, 2021. You can find all the rules to the contest at diveinpod.com slash contest. We were very happy that Dr. Neil Pollock joined us on the show on episode 34, where he was speaking about the position of research chair of hyperbaric and dive medicine at Université Laval in Quebec and the need to raise the final funds to make that happen. If you're a diver, a dive shop owner, or really anyone looking to contribute a bit to groundbreaking scientific research, please consider making a donation in support of this goal. Formalizing the chair supports new research and education efforts, and the goal is to develop the program as a national resource supporting Canadian efforts that can benefit regionally, nationally, and internationally. If you recall in that interview, they were shooting for a target of $800,000 and they're close. So we just need to help them raise 41000 to reach that target. Let's help support this valuable cause because it benefits the entire dive community. We'll include some information in the show notes and feel free to share this if you know of anyone wishing to support hyperbaric and dive medical research, education and service in Canada through tax deductible donations. Give them a shout, 418-835-7188 and make a donation today. Tonight we're speaking to Blair Tobin. Blair is a local Nova Scotian who spends his bottom time as a military diver and his surface interval in between crafting beer for his own business, Topside Brewing Company. 
Welcome to Dive in the Podcast, Blair. Thanks for joining us. So how are you doing today? Hey, thank you very much for having me on. I'm doing very well. Awesome. That's great. Well, we'll officially start your interview with you in a few minutes here, Blair. But uh, before that, we had a DM from a local listener about Maxwell Hone's episode. She said, quote, oh my God, uh, why am I teary watching a video about tadpoles? That episode was amazing. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, uh, that was some great feedback on that episode there. Yeah, I mean, overall, if you're going to get that sort of a response, it speaks to two things, right? At least the episode was good, and yeah. it confirms what we all thought, which was that Maxwell's video was just uh, really out of this world as well. So I think, yeah. I think it covered off everything we were looking for. Yeah, we get lots of feedback. I know there's more out there. We had quite a bit of comments on the on the actual post on Instagram, yeah. and I think people really liked that episode. So it was a pleasure having him on. Blair, I got a quick question for you before we go to the news. Uh, in your sure. military diving career, have you seen many whales in the water? Uh, whales? No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Oh, no. Well, it's weirdly, that ties into the news article I've got today. So uh, oh, okay. scientists are investigating how the quiet of COVID-19 affects the oceans. There's a uh, biologist, Chris Gabriel, who works at, for the National Park Service in Glacier Bay National Park in Alaska. He monitors sound levels using hydrophones. The scientists place throughout the bay. Usually the whales in the area have to fight with industrial noises to communicate. And so they alter their calls uh, accordingly. The region's waters have seen a median daily decrease in sound levels by about 50% this year compared to last year. And as a result, they've seen humpback whales diving and hanging out in much broader swaths of the bay. Quote, they seem to be taking up much of the space that was made available by the decreased human activity. And by that, I mean, we saw them out in the middle of the channel taking naps, socializing and feeding with <laughs> others. And also on the hydrophone, we, we heard a lot more long exchanges between the whales. So basically, the whales are loving the free space and the quiet. I've been to Glacier Bay on a cruise ship. That was a long time ago. But looking back, I definitely feel a bit differently about that trip than I do now. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we mentioned last week, right? Uh, I think Maxwell was saying that mm -hmm. sound, uh, you know, sound pollution in, out west and just in general in the oceans is a huge issue for, for marine mammals. So, yeah, I bet, I bet they're having fun taking naps uh, taking things a little easier. <laughs> it's a beautiful spot to take a nap, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. I wanted to jump in with another quick news bit there if we have a sec and point out that Sharewater has uh, released a firmware update. It is version 83 for the Petrol 2 and that's now available. So this is a critical release that, quote, fixes an issue that could occur during battery change where under certain conditions after a battery change, the tissue integrity check could be bypassed, resulting in corrupted decompression tissues, end quote. Uh, so in order to get that, of course, log on to shearwater.com for more info. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's definitively one of these things where you want to make sure you get that upgraded because the last mm -hmm. thing you need is uh, changing out your battery and wiping your tissues or worse yet, just putting bad information into that tissue loading uh, graph and getting yourself bent. So get there and uh, get that one done. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, super easy to do on your water computer, too. And lastly, tonight uh, in the news segment, the Underwater Photographer of the Year 2021 contest is now open. Uh, entries close January 5th, 2021. Uh, really notably this year, um, in support of the dive industry, UPY, will not hand out prizes for this edition of the contest. They write, quote, we do not think that this is an appropriate time for photographers to be asking the wider diving industry for prizes for our pictures, end quote. And they actually elaborate a little bit on that and how uh, the dive sector is generally suffering. Um, one exception to that is the British Water Living 
together category as prizes for this were established some time ago. So if you're an underwater photographer looking to enter in a contest, uh, check out UPY uh, 2021. Awesome. You could be underwater photographer of the year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe uh, underwater Pat will... Uh... We'll join in on that one. <laughs> I think we've got a bunch of our guests. I'm sure we'll be submitting. Uh, I'm Nick, sure. I'm sh- you going to send a picture in, Nick? I've got a couple couple lined up, yep. I'm, I've actually registered. I haven't submitted them yet, but awesome. we'll have some in there. Oh, there you, you go. You know what, Nick? I'm going to challenge you. I'm getting one of those like point shoot, like the old film suckers here <laughs> that you get. Remember those? <laughs> Uh, I got one, I want to say 12 years ago, that was an underwater camera that uh, me and Heather took on vacation to Tobago when I proposed to her. So I'm going to see if I can haul that sucker out and just take a few snapshots. And uh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to throw you under the bus there, Nick. You're not going to have a chance. (laughs) All that gear you've got, can't stand a chance. Yeah, speak, speaking of film cameras, and we can talk about it another time, but there's no. actually a whole revival in the Nikonos uh, f- underwater uh, film format that Nikon had um, in, launched in the 60s. Oh, so yeah. you can get those uh, you have those vintage cameras. So maybe we can get one from it for Christmas. All right, there, there we go. We go. They're probably expensive <laughs> now. People are like, ooh, vintage cameras. Ooh. Hey. <laughs> That's it for the news today. I think it's time to dive in with Blair Tobin. So Blair, are you from Nova Scotia originally? Yeah, actually, I'm I'm uh, originally from Cape Breton, so I'm oh. a, I'm a North Side Cape Breton kind of guy. If I could just mention one thing, oh, um, yeah. because you guys were talking about the Nikonis uh, cameras and stuff, and it brought me back to my clearance diver course, yeah. uh, and that's that is what we learned uh, underwater photography on, and at you know, developing those film and seeing the <laughs> images is what made me say that I am absolute crap at. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just me. I, yeah, that's right. So I have a good appreciation for that dang uh, Nikona system. Yeah. Well, times have changed, so you could always get back into it. There we go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, with a nice Gates housing and uh, and a decent SLR, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure the Navy then has a stockpile of those somewhere in some, some building, somewhere. somewhere I don't house. know where they yeah. went, but I'm pretty sure they got popped out. Yeah. We just need to find a QM uh, quartermaster that can help us out with that. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some giant container of them somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like you have to be a, a true pro to get a good image with that, with that system. Go. That's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. So, Blair, what was your first memory of the water? Like I said, I grew up in Cape Breton, mm-hmm. so... Um, you know, the water was pretty much steps away at any point in time. So, you know, North Sydney, Sydney Mines is, uh, is my stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Newfoundland Ferry and uh, ice flows coming in and the springtime, you know, jumping clampers, as we used to call it, uh, which is, <laughs> I think here we call it ice pans. Oh, yeah. yeah. Something like that. But we called it clampers were, uh, back then and uh, jump out and see how far you could go. So the water was always a factor. And, uh, even back, I can remember uh, going to the beach as a you know pretty young boy mm-hmm. with a buddy and snorkeling uh, right. all the time in the nice cold water. So it's it's always been a factor in my life. That's uh, something else, Blair. Uh, I was just you're, you're telling that story there about North Sydney and Sydney Mines, and uh, my my wife Heather's actually from Sydney Mines, and so I recall oh, her. Cool taking me down to some of those beaches through, uh, I want to say there's some ad- abandoned forts or something along yeah, there or right. the batteries. The is that correct? Yeah. yeah so yeah. she was a yeah. lover of the, of the ocean down so there. I mean, still is of course. And yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I just thought that that kind of brought back some memories there. So how did that influence your, uh, your love of the water? Well, I think it, um, uh, I always had this, um, passion, um, or kind of drive to join the Navy from a young age, from, I, I, I would dial it back to about 12 years old. Um, Mm. so, you know, I went through the sea cadet program and all of that. So I did a lot of the sailing and, and, uh, I was just, you know, I was googly eyed about the whole, the whole aspect of joining the <laughs> Navy and seeing the world and sailing and, and being on the water. It was, you know, and, you know, Cape Breton, the water is an important um, factor in terms of livelihood and, um, and fun. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Were you a recreational diver before you became a military diver? No, not at all. Actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had never even thought of, of diving really. Um, other than watching my dad and uh, my cousin uh, go for a couple dives, you know, shore dives and, um, you know, with relatively no experience uh, kind of thing. But uh, I, I had no recreational experience whatsoever. So can you explain to our listeners what exactly is a clearance diver and oh, how sure. is that different uh, than other diving careers in the Canadian Navy? Sure. Yeah. So um, clearance diver in the Canadian Navy is kind of missing one word, I, I always say, and that's mine. So mine mm. clearance <laughs> diver in other countries uh, would be what we're referred to. So um, our bread and butter, um, as they say, is mine clearance and in particular underwater uh, mines. So we're the guys that go down. Uh, once mines are found, we will go mm. down and prosecute um, and dispose of uh sea mines so that that's that's kind of the bread and butter um in canada as uh you know as part of the royal canadian navy um we don't see a a whole lot of mine warfare um we do when we go to europe and and assist over there um Mm. so because of our eod or explosive ordnance disposal background um we're trained with um land and air ordnance as well and uh, some of us get to specialize in uh, improvised explosive device or IED disposal. Uh, in terms of diving, we also get to um, do a lot of, the, we call it ship's husbandry, so repair the um, different underwater systems for the ships and all of the underwater installations in around the harbor. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. I imagine you can't just jump into a thing like that lest you blow yourself out of the water, literally. Uh, what's what's the training like <laughs> yeah. for something like that when you decide that that's a thing that you want to want to do? You know, every clearance diver has done a basic diving course, and in the in the Navy, that's um, that's the ship's diver course. Um, mm-hmm. In the Army, it would be combat diver, and and so on and so forth. Um, so you have to have that or sorry, you had to have that qualification when I went through. Um, And then after that, you got to um, apply uh, to remuster or trade transfer to clearance diver. Um, If you were, you kind of went through those um, application process and you would get picked up for your selection. So in my day, it was a two week uh, selection called the prelim. And that was essentially two weeks of uh, lots of good PT and uh, <laughs> diving two of the um, critical uh, diving apparatus for the Canadian clearance divers. Very cool. I had an opportunity a while back to jump in and visit some of the guys over at Fleet Dive Atlantic. And yeah. I got to say, 
kids, you want to talk about a kid in a candy shop. Those guys have some pretty <laughs> cool kit in there. So can you tell me a little bit about the type of toys that you guys get to play with as uh, clearance divers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Fleet Time Unit Atlantic is, is my home unit. So over there, um, you know, our day-to-day rig in around the harbor would be our scuba gear, obviously. And we typically mm-hmm. dive, dive doubles, uh, mostly because our, our dive times are quite long. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with um, changing sonar domes and things like that. Um, beyond that, once you get into the mine warfare category, we're diving um, two different semi-closed rebreathers. Uh, they're both wow. mechanical, not electronic. Okay. Um, so the first one is our CCDA, or the Canadian's, Canadian Clearance Diving Apparatus. Um, that brings us down to about 42 uh, meters or so on different pre-mixed gases. Mm-hmm. Um and so that has the capability to, to dive straight 100% O2 um, and then a 60-40 and a 40-60 mixture. So, you know, the primary purpose is um, it's quiet, it's, um, it's non-mag, non-magnetic, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, its purpose is entirely to sneak up on a mine. Right, because I mean... I- I guess you're, you're trying to make sure that there's literally nothing that can set this off, right? When, when exactly, you're in the water. yeah. And, and, you know, mines, um, you know, everybody understands the image of a, a moored mine with the contact horns and stuff mm-hmm. like that that ship would run into. Um, but there's also, um, more prevalently now, is, a, you know, different um, uh, mines with sensors like acoustic and pressure and stuff like that and noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mag- magnetism as well as a, as a feature for arming or setting it off. Is that the reason why you guys are are using the uh, the mechanical rebreathers? Then is it the lack of electronics and stuff on the other ones, or no, not entirely. It, it was mostly because uh, we just hadn't bit into the technology okay. yet, right? So um, the CCDA and the other set, our deeper set, the Kuma set, which is the Canadian underwater mine apparatus um or were built with a non-mag profile and at the time that they were built it was kind of um, thought that the electronic set may have more of a magnetic influence Mm. okay yeah so it we are um going on to uh an electronic set which will be coming out uh, it's in its uh, testing and trials phase and uh we're going to start training on that very soon very cool. Very cool. Yeah. We'll have to chat about that when that, uh, when you're yeah, diving new rebreathers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so what do you love about being a diver? Commercial or recreational? Yeah. I got to tell you, you know, I, I did my, um, I did my first, um, my basic course, my ship's diver course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I did that primarily because, uh, I was standing on my ship, um, as a, as a bosun. If you don't know what that is, um, it's, you know, essentially a deckhand. Um, in civilian terms and uh, I was standing on there and you know I was quite content with the trade because the work was all outside it was it was various tasks so it was Mm -hmm. always something kind of different right Um, but after a few years it left me wanting a little more and uh, one day I just happened to look over the side and um, there was a group of clearance divers uh, working on our ship you know doing a, a, a dome change sonar dome change and um i thought man that looks that looks pretty cool that looks fun right you know right. and uh and then i noticed their kind of banter with each other and this um camaraderie that i'd never seen before 
kind of thing. And uh, I said, man, that looks, you know, you could see it at just from a distance looking at it, you could see the gel between uh, these people. Right. Um, so I was like, so I, I figured I'll, I'll give it a shot on the ship's diver course and see what that's all about. Um, I knew at the time it was very physical. And um, so I started, you know, training and, and uh, eating properly and all that good stuff. Um, and once I got on the course, uh, you know, it was, it was challenging. Um, but once I got underwater and started working with tools and being under a ship and all that stuff, it was just, I felt like I was at home. Hmm. And uh, that that was it. I was hooked, so I, I had to proceed further and uh, and give selection a shot. I'm sure too. Being a diver has led you to have many amazing experiences and lots of cool diving. And I know personally, I like uh, doing some ice diving, but of course, I do hmm. it in uh, Chocolate Milk, Kearney Lake. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I know you've gotten to do it in the Arctic. Yes, uh, so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of my um, all-time favorite diving experiences is is getting to dive in the Arctic. Mm. Um, it's also um, having the opportunity to be in the Arctic and to work with the local people um, there and um, just see their passion for each other and their community and um, for their livelihoods. It, it was um, it's it's almost humbling in a way. Um, on the diving side of it, it's it's incredibly challenging, especially as a military diver, um, when you're you're moving large groups of people with a lot of equipment out onto the ice in the middle of nowhere, um, cutting a hole through six feet of ice, and then putting a diver wow. through that. Yeah, so it's uh, it's logistically it's a, a very challenging nightmare, and then. It's um, it's a learning experience daily, um, because as a, as a leader in the military, uh, you're responsible for the people that you have uh, under you. So you know, sixty people, and you're the one responsible for them in, in the middle of nowhere, essentially. Um, so when people get ill or anything like that, um, judgment calls need to be made. So it becomes this. You know, it's not just about the diving anymore. It's also about surviving in order to dive. So mm -hmm. surviving to mm -hmm. accomplish your mission kind of thing. So I, I found that extremely um, rewarding and enjoyable because it was so challenging. Mm -hmm. Now, on the diving side of it, I, I will say on the diving mm -hmm. side of it, it's super cold, as you would imagine. But, but the viz is phenomenal. It's, That's it's, what I can uh, imagine. It's yeah, just it's like amazing. Is I've ever seen. You know, it's just clear as a bell. And even though that ice is six feet thick, when you <laughs> look back, you do, you see the tents. You know the mm. the you know wow. the footing or whatever of the tents and the shadows of everything. It's it's so amazing, and uh, just the different um, small sea life, like the different jellyfish and stuff like that. that are, you know, have a lot of luminescence and, and things. It's very cool. Wow. Yeah. That's mm. something else. We, uh, we had the, I guess, good fortune to have Mark Bishop on here, who is the, um, yes. the, one of the commanders here for the RC. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So he, yeah. he <laughs> was, uh, on an interoperability mission out there. Um, I think with, with, uh, some of the with groups me. in the military, was he with you on that? <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> he did tell that story. So, did you have anything to do with this? Uh, the story where he flooded the suit on dive one. Um, do you recall that? 
No, I don't. I don't recall that. Um, <laughs> he but does. Sure Mark, Mark was with us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think he was on um, the one that we pushed out um, about uh, forty to fifty k out into the middle of the Queen Mod Strait. So yeah, uh, yeah that was a good one, and uh, yeah. him, him and his buddies were there. So yeah, it's always good. It, we we love working with the RCMP. We have a, a very close relationship both on the on the bomb tech side and on the mm-hmm. diving side. So they're, they're just phenomenal uh, group of people to work with. No, oh, I know that's uh, that's definitely one of his favorite stories to tell. Not not necessarily <laughs> the flooding yeah. component there, but you know yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the bit about being out there. And he showed me some of that video <laughs> of the size of the, I guess the the depth of the ice there, and it's incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but. You also went to a different part of the world. Um, you were deployed to Afghanistan, and I so was. you know how how does how does that play into Clarence diving? Is there much yeah, to do there a, by that way? Well, like I said, um, there there is zero diving, obviously, because you're in the middle of the desert. Right, uh, it, it's absolutely landlocked. Um, mm-hmm. So, as a clearance diver, like you know, our bread and butter is mine clearance, um, which is EOD, so explosive mm-hmm. ordnance disposal. Mm. Um, so through that, we're trained, uh, land and air ordnance. And, um, I was fortunate, um, to be selected to do some, um, IED disposal. Um, mm. so I, I kind of made that, um, it's kind of a branch of our trade that you can go in. Um, mm. and that was kind of my path. Um, so did, you know, the, um, the training as a bomb tech and, uh, uh, deployed to Afghanistan with uh, with the army, um, you know, I was uh, the only Navy guy on a five person uh, army team, and uh, you know, we were deployed to, uh, you know, for for us, it was some of the hardest uh, hard army kind of locations uh, uh, in the Zangabad region um, of Afghanistan. So a- anybody that's been around there understands where that is and the horn of panjway and all that good stuff uh it was absolutely um it was um it was a very exciting and very terrifying experience all in one that's that's kind of how i define it um it's uh extreme so it's extremely terrifying and it's extremely exciting and it's Mm -hmm. always like that so um yeah it, it it leaves some lasting memories and impressions um, but it's always, um, you know, I always think about the people, uh, mm. that we worked with over there and, um, you know, whether or not we made a difference, I think we did. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and in talking to other soldiers that had been there in, uh, more, you know, uh, three or four rotos kind of thing, uh, they seen a difference in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a clearance diver, only Navy guy, uh, bomb tech <laughs> on the land uh it, w- it was a very good very humbling experience i think there's i think there's a movie there <laughs> there could be yeah well the reality is it's yeah. called hyena road uh unfortunately yeah. it's not a very good representation <laughs> uh, that, that that's actually um a movie about my tour and uh it's it's not a good representation okay you know, your your diving has taken you to, to other parts of the world, and you've you've been able to work with people from other nations. Um, Amit and I have a have Caribbean roots. Um, are you able to tell us a little bit about your work assisting to train divers in the Caribbean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the operation now, but I can't. But uh, when I went there, it was called Southern Partnership, and I got to go to Jamaica for um, a few weeks and teach uh, Jamaican divers. 
how to teach. So we, or how to dive, sorry. So we, we essentially put them through our ship's diver basics. The issue in the Caribbean for, you know, like uh, the Jamaican Defense Force and the Bahamians and things like that is uh, drug smuggling. Mm-hmm. So they're often faced with the Navy will stop a vessel in the middle of the ocean um, and then the divers have to go down and see if there's any drugs strapped uh, to the bottom uh, right. of the ship, to the hull. So that's what these guys are trained to do. Um, so it's it's very, um, I'm always humbled. Again, I use that word a lot, I see, it seems. But by these, these people who, um, you know, they, they really don't get much. They don't get paid a whole heck of a lot. Um, but they do it because they love their country so much. You know, these small mm-hmm. little Caribbean nations, and uh, they're very proud, and they want to do as much as they can, and they will take on just about any challenge in spite of all the restrictions of gear or, uh, you know, what they're facing in terms of uh, challenges with the with the task. Uh, it's something else, you know, it's actually, you mentioned that, and I think uh, I draw parallels when I've been to Cape Breton visiting uh, some of Heather's <laughs> friends there as well. And in, I say that in the sense of like, there's this, this sort of attitude between like, say, the Cape Bretoners and Islanders in, in the Caribbean that like, no matter what we have or what we have at our disposal, we'll figure out a way to get this done. Uh, yeah. And it becomes a community affair, right? And you, and you buy into it thoroughly. So, yeah, it's re- mm-hmm. really well said. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that statement. Mostly because I'm from Cape Breton. laughing at my own jokes that's right so i feel if i don't laugh at my jokes no one's going to so (laughs) we're going to chat more about this when we come back from break in a minute but before we go you are the owner of topside brewery as well as an active navy diver how do you balance those two things Uh, very well at the moment Um, (laughs) Um, you know, Topside is uh, in its infancy. Um, mm-hmm. We've only been open for a few months. Uh, we're running it out of our garage right now, uh, more or less as a production um, brewery. And, mm-hmm. you know, our goal in year one was brand development. Uh, so it's pretty easy to balance that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also on the tail end of my career, so I'm not at work as much as I used mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're just going to kind of roll into this whole brewery adventure and see what happens. Awesome. Well, that is a perfect toss to the break. We'll be right back with more from Blair Tobin of Topside Brewing Company. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Rays Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. In these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge, big box help support your local dive shop buy something you've had your eye on excellent time to make a good deal buy a gift certificate to use later whatever the case may be torpedo rays and torpedorays.com will be there for you once again their number is 902-481-0444 or torpedorays.com welcome back 
and we're speaking with Blair Tobin tonight from Topside Brewing Co. So Blair, now that you have your own business, can you tell us a little bit about how you got headed down that path? Why did you open up a brewery? Yeah, so um, wow, I've, I've always been interested and fascinated with craft beer um, for quite a few years. Um, I think, um, you know, to mention uh, Propeller uh, kind of guided me down that path and the Brooklyn warehouse, they were kind of collaborating, making this uh, beer called pony. I think it was back in the day. Um, it's not that long ago. Um, and then uh, I started to, you know, have this fascination with home brewing. Um, so at the time it was more about um, making beer and, and tasting the final product. Um, and then I started to kind of, think about fermentation and I started to kind of get fascinated with, with that aspect, um, of brewing. Um, so, uh, you know, I kind of developed a little more skills in, in the home brewing aspect. Um, and then I said, uh, you know, I kind of want to, I want to make this a little more, I need, I need the science behind it. So I did some, um, some schooling through uh, Siebel Institute in Chicago. Um, and, uh, learned a lot more about the science and the biochemistry of brewing. Um, and then through that, I got to meet a lot of, um, um, classmates and, and course mates from uh, around the world kind of thing. And we all keep in touch on a group chat kind of thing. Um, so once we kind of went down that road, uh, my wife and I said, you know, maybe we could give this a shot. And, uh, you know, we have, we have a lot of good ideas. She comes from, you know, back in her 20s and uh, early 30s, she had a real uh, big hospitality background. Um, she's since gone on to education. Um, but, you know, she had real good hospitality background. So, um, you know, we, you know, we started the brewery and uh, our little slogan was that I'm the beer and she's the business. Kind of thing. So, you know, she has a commerce degree and all that good stuff. And I'm not very good with numbers. Uh, planning a dive. Um, so we did that and then, uh, we said, okay, let's, let's see what it takes to open a brewery. Uh, we got a lot of quotes from, uh, for equipment and we started to learn about how to open a business. Number one, um, which was, uh, a huge, incredible learning curve. Um, and we were just about to pull the trigger on the equipment and space and stuff like that. Uh, COVID hit, um, and COVID pretty much shut down everything and we got really scared really quick. Um, you know, the thought of carrying, you know, half a million dollars of debt uh, during a pandemic uh, was humbling enough for us to say, that's it. Or, you know, maybe we need to hit pause. Um, but then we said, uh, you know, we could probably do this out of the garage, uh, renovate it into a brewery. Uh, we'll have enough space out there to produce you know, just enough to get our name and beer into people's hands. And uh, that's kind of how Topside started. That's awesome. And I mean, mm. all of that being said, how long has uh, Topside Brewing been in the works? Yeah, so um, so we officially opened mid-September, um, but we had been in the works, uh, f- you know, officially from about March um, until September just to get permitting licenses um a lot of back and forth with different layers of government um just to get open so uh, as you can imagine alcohol is a very uh, well regulated 
um, yeah. product in Nova Scotia. So there's various levels, you know, three layer levels of government that you have to go through in order to get permits to open up, especially when you're opening a brewery in your house in a residential neighborhood. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> impressive you get the zoning for that in any case. But. Yeah, that's well, yeah. You know, w- when you read through the, um, the different zoning, uh, like, uh, it's, um, the land use uh, agreements for different a- areas of HRM, uh, you really have to get into the fine print and see uh, what's there because uh, we've learned that um, you have to not really take what the official tells you at, at face value <laughs> and, and kind of know um, the text and be able to fight your argument back. So, yeah. Sounds like sage advice. So. Yeah. You guys, uh, you guys came up with a pretty genius name. Uh, was that purposeful, or that you really wanted it to be dive related? Absolutely, we wanted it to be dive related. Unfortunately, the first name didn't stick because it was too closely related to um, to other businesses uh, within the province. Okay. Um, so the the fallback was Topside, um, but even though it was the fallback, it ended up uh, kind of being a little better than the original. Um, So we put it through and of course, topside is a reference to um, diving. Um, And in particular um, in Navy diving, we refer to the surface or the surface crew as topside. Uh, So they refer to you as your diver call sign, red Mm -hmm. or yellow diver, and then you're communicating the topside. And so you'd mentioned as well, of course, uh, your, your wife, Erin is the business uh, and you, you guys are both owners <laughs> on the top side brewing, but uh, uh, do you both come from diving backgrounds? Does Aaron dive as well, or is this just you? No, Aaron has uh, no diving background whatsoever and uh, does not have any intent. Uh, <laughs> um, the only uh, diving in her family is her brother, Ian, uh, and him and I uh, usually get out for a dive whenever he comes to town kind of thing. He's uh, stuck in New Brunswick. So only okay. gets to uh, certain spots. So are you going to keep the diving theme throughout your beers with the names and all that? Is that the plan? Yeah, uh, pretty much. I mean, you know, kind of our staple uh, beers, you know, we have uh, Five Bells uh, on the bottom mm-hmm. um, and uh, Tobin Bronze uh, would be three of our kind of dive uh, theme names. Mm-hmm. Um we, we kind of break away from that a little bit. You know, our stout is named chaos only because of its, its flavor profile is, is right. incredibly chaotic. Um, and then, uh, you know, some names just come up, uh, geographically mm-hmm. or there it's, it's a reference to our family, um, yeah. because we're also a family owned business, which, sure. um, just, just to talk about our logo for a second, some people don't notice it, but there's six waves, uh, on the corselet of the, um, of the Mark five diver, and those six waves are a representation of the six members of our family. Uh, so we really ah, want that to be part nice. of our, you know, the diving background, the family mm-hmm. aspect of our brewery. We, f- we feel that, um, you know, not many businesses or breweries can really carry that uh, anymore. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they're owned by a lot of different people and it's not really family owned as much as it used to be kind of thing. So we're, we're trying to kind of throw it back into the mix. We're we're um, talking a lot about your your business. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your beer? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I, I say that all my beer is handcrafted, um, and it's 
uh, it's an effort to get back to craft and get back to craft beer. Um, it, it's, it's obviously no, um, slight against any other breweries or anything, but, <laughs> you know, I've, I've always had this, um, this thought in my head, um, when does a craft brewery cease to be a craft brewery? Right? <laughs> You're producing as much as a, as a macro brewery, um, you know, like some of the big breweries in the U S like, you know, stone and rogue and things like that. Or, you know, do you, are you no longer craft? Uh, you know, it was always this confusing right. thought in my head. So for me, it's this handcrafted aspect um, that starts from the conception phase. So, okay, yeah, I'd like to make this kind of beer. Um, and then it, it goes right into my notebook um, where I start actually doing the math uh, by hand. Um, so I don't typically use a, a computer software or anything like that to build my recipes. I use uh, good old math and uh, um, a calculator, and I uh, do up mm. my numbers, and um, and then I go from there. And then it's um, you know smelling and tasting grain and um, looking at and reading different hop profiles and and smells and experience from those. And then, um, you know, incorporating different techniques in the brewing process um, in order to produce a beer that tastes how I hope it's going to taste. That all sounds way beyond anything I could do and a lot more complicated <laughs> than I would have it's anticipated. Quite easy. Once, you, once you get, you know, you find the passion for it and you get in there right. and then you start, you know, for me, it's, um, uh, I'm a big fan of the brewing raw ingredients the core ingredients mm. you know, water uh malts like malted barleys and stuff like that and then hops and the unsung hero which is yeast um, yes you know, yeast yeast is often over or overlooked um and people go right to the hops and they mm. want to know how much hops is in there what kind of hops is in there kind of thing um but yeast makes the beer it's all about the yeast. <laughs> it's all about the yeast. A, a brewer doesn't make beer. A brewer makes, um, you know, an ecosystem for yeast. That, and that's it. You're making the best possible place for yeast to grow and develop. Mm. And um, what people don't know is they're mothers and daughters. You know, yeast cells are mother and daughter cells. And um, so they, they, they make it happen. Um, so for me, if I can use different yeast strains to produce different flavors and aromas, then mm. I'm definitely going that way. And that's, we try to represent that in some of our beers, like rolling the dice, um, which is a throwback <laughs> to Craig Blake and uh, Chris Downey's EOD team. Um, but it has a, a different kind of yeast strain for an IPA. And it creates these different um, phenolic uh, um, smells and flavors. Wow. Yeah, I was, awesome. I was fascinated when I first started homebrewing as to how many strains of, of yeast there are there. Yeah. yeah. And even today, it's it's very easy to um, to get different strains. So, you know, it's even as a professional brewer, um, getting different strains of yeast is easy um, and you can kind of play around um, before you start kind of narrowing down your own, you know, proprietary uh, yeast. It's really cool. I had no idea there was so much to it. Yeah, yeah. So, so where um where can people find you online and where can they find your beer? Yeah, so we're online we're topsidebrewing.ca. 
Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Topside Brewing. Uh, we're on Facebook again, uh, <laughs> Topside Brewing. <laughs> and uh, we do have a Twitter account, but we're not overly active. Um, so, uh, again, it'll be at Topside Brewing. Um, but, again, we, we really don't tweet uh, a lot. And we <laughs> kind of stick to Facebook and Instagram, uh, mostly because we're in our 40s, and uh, that's just the way it is. <laughs> no one's tweeting anymore. It's okay. No, no one's tweeting. <laughs> no one except for Donald Trump. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And no one wants to listen to that tweet. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, our beers, um, normally um, when restaurants and pubs are open, you can find us at Finn Bars in Bedford. Okay. Uh, oh, nice. In the summertime, you can find us at the Birch and Anchor, uh, nice. which is a great spot uh, in Bedford as well, the old Chinatown restaurant. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we'll also be starting up at Finbar's in Dartmouth. Uh, you'll find our Tobin Bronze there. Um, hopefully, when we reopen, uh, we, ju- we just uh, finished uh, talks with them before the latest round of closures. Um, we do do growler fills uh, from our house um, for the local neighborhood kind of thing for our neighbors. And soon we'll we'll start packaging in smaller packs like bottles or cans. Uh, we're just narrowing down um, which. Uh, package we're going to go with um which might be a combination of both uh mm-hmm. moving forward and then uh we're, we're going to push to get into you know the smaller boutique um liquor stores like uh harvest wine and spirits and and those things sounds very interesting well we wish you all the best of luck on that endeavor what keeps you diving blair i think it's just like you guys it's it's this weird passion right you know you just kind of get bit <laughs> with this diving bug and uh you go underwater and you know sometimes you have a really boring dive or sometimes it's really shitty because you're freezing cold or your toes are numb <laughs> or whatever right but then you you have these incredible experiences um you, you know whether it's with sea life or it's just you you see something interesting or you hit a depth that you never thought you would hit um and I, I just feel like, you know, once you move past that, um, you know, that 50 foot barrier, you know, and you start to go deep, you know, in the technical aspect where it becomes a lot more planned and you really have to, you know, plan the dive, dive the plan. Um, and you get down there mm-hmm. and you accomplish that. It's just, you know, it's like, um, I, I guess you could relate it to golf. You know, you can go out and golf. For me, you know, I'm I'm a I play you know a different kind of golf where you hit the ball and then you curse about it. One good shot, that one good shot, and it, it's like, man, I'm coming back tomorrow. Well, di- diving is kind of like that. Where in that you know you go out, and you're freezing cold in the boat, or you're freezing cold on the shore, and then you get underwater, and it's like, man, this is awesome what am i doing like <laughs> i gotta stop complaining about this and get out here more so yeah i think i think like you guys it just it just you know once you start you can't stop mm-hmm. awesome it's all about that connection and that uh you know that feeling of being underwater and absolutely to a t every guest says it in a in says the same thing in a different way they express right. the same feeling in a different way it's really great it's really neat that yeah. that's happened what I appreciate you joining us, Blair. And we got a couple more things to chat about here. So I'd love for you to stay with us here. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll go over to April with this week's pro tip. Yeah. So this week's pro tip, it's actually a, well, 
a bit of a photography tip, but like I don't want to take <laughs> uh, you know Nick's oh, no. uh, thunder here. <laughs> Let's yeah. this, yeah. this is my uh, amateur hour photography tip, but uh, it's when you're doing your underwater selfies or your buddies taking a nice picture of you. Uh, get mm-hmm. them to take it on your inhale. Uh, that way, you're not going to have bubbles all over your face. Uh, and you're also never holding your breath, which we all know is the number one rule of scuba. There you go. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow that up that if you are diving with somebody that has a camera, that's an opportunity to get your photo taken. So look Absolutely. look at the photographer from time to time. The amount of times they go <laughs> scuba diving or free diving. And, you know, I'm sitting there with a the rig trying to get a photo of someone and it'll be like they look at me for two seconds and it's just like, and then they come back up. It's like, did you take a picture of me? It's like, oh, well, I've got your tank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you're, if you, if you have, if you're buddy with a photographer, um, and I think Amit can attest to that, you know, uh, take advantage of that. Yeah. Don't be shy. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and the other thing on that one, I, I do have to say, I guess, like in defense of the divers who are shy, like, uh, I think the first couple of times we went out, Nick, I was, I was definitely thinking like, man, I'm real inconvenienced to this guy. And then afterwards we <laughs> chatted about, and he's like, who else am I going to take a picture of, champ? And you know, so, like, well, it's just two of us in the water, so it kind of makes sense, right? So, uh, yeah. but yeah, I've gotten really lucky, and Nick's uh, Nick's gotten some pretty cool pictures of me, I think, in the water, and uh, yeah. So, so listen to both of those tips. I'm like the opposite because at the ice course, I was like, "All right, Nick, I'm going to need a really good photo. I need a new profile picture." So. <laughs> Doing it for the gram, but uh, no, yeah. but your tip is is really valid too. There's uh, yeah. at least at least even if you're not just you know um, composing the photo on an inhale, at least control your breathing a little bit because mm. absolutely. Um, if somebody's breathing fast, which isn't necessarily the best thing anyway, there's a lot of bubbles that don't get out of the way, and then you know there's nothing worse than taking a shot of someone with like bubbles right in front of the mask. Absolutely. Practice that long, slow, long, slow breathing. There you yeah. go. Take a free diving yeah. course. <clears throat> Take a free diving course. <laughs> <laughs> then there'll be no plug bubbles here. Yeah. No. Well, awesome. Thanks for that, April. That was really great. Yeah. That does it for today's episode. Thanks again, Blair, for joining us on the episode. It's been a lot of fun and really interesting. I'm going to have to uh, sneak over to that garage with some growlers and fill up some beer. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to have you come over. And thanks again, guys, for having me on. It was, it was very fun. And of course, thanks to my co-hosts, Nick. Thanks for everything tonight. It's been a pleasure to be here, as always. Can count on you every week. <laughs> uh, April, thanks for setting up that interview. Yeah, that was awesome. And uh, it was really great to, you know, digitally uh, meet Blair and learn a little bit <laughs> yeah. about his diving career and uh, his brewery. So, yeah, it was awesome tonight. And a bit. Thank you, sir. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, that was a that was a fantastic interview. Super cool guy. Really relaxed and laid back. Uh, obviously, comes from his Cape Breton roots. I can only assume, right? Uh, but he's definitely left yeah. me salivating just thinking about this beer. I might have to find a way to head over there and find some. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely go over to his website and find out how I can get my growlers filled right away. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook with at DiveInPod. Our email is divein.thepodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, www.diveinpod.com. On the website, you can find our past episodes, details on our recurring segments, merch, and much more. On social media, you can follow me at IDiveOK. April's at April Weikert. Nick is at Nicholas Winkler Photography. 
You can find links for everything we mentioned on today's episode in the show notes or on our website, diveinpod.com. Next week, we speak to Dion Jones, a dedicated side mount technical and cave diver, who is also a passionate diving instructor, constantly in the pursuit of diving excellence. This episode of Dive in the Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. Head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thanks for listening. <laughs>